Hey, this is Todd and Julie Mullen, senior pastors here at Christ Fellowship Church in South Florida. Whether you're across the street or across the world, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy week to join for this message. We hope that it encourages you and inspires you to get more out of life. Hey, can we go ahead and give Jesus, come on, a big shout of praise. Come on, every campus, everybody online, come on, right here in the room. Let's go ahead and give him praise today. Hallelujah. Better is one day in his house than a thousand elsewhere. And I don't know about you, but I'm just thankful to be in the presence of the Lord. And I just sense God at work here at Christ Fellowship. And I just think that today, well, this is the day that the Lord has made. And he's going to move. He's going to speak to us. How many came in today with some faith in your heart? Come on. How many jumped online today believing God's going to speak to us? If you're here in the room, go ahead and maybe fist bump two or three people and just say, you look better than I remember. Um, If you're at your house, uh, hopefully, you know, you you could find the couch. Maybe you got kids in your hand, coffee in your hand. I don't know, but we're glad that you are, uh, you're tuning in and we're so thankful for what what God is doing here at Christ Fellowship. What, What an honor. Uh, I pastor a little church in Miami called Vu. You don't even know it, but you've been a part of the miracle that's happened there. You, you've sown prayers, you've sown leaders, you've sown resources. Um, you've just been the best ever. And God's been doing something the last five years. Uh, we've seen thousands of people meet Jesus and so much of it is because of your prayers and your resources. Um, I, I pastor this church called, called Vu, but I'm, I'm also, um, well, I'm, I'm a proud husband of a girl named Dawn Cherie. Uh, we're about to celebrate, check this out, 50. 15 years of marriage. Holler at your boy. We made it. <laughs> we made it. Uh, but not just that. We also have three incredible children that we are so proud of. Uh, they are the joy of our life, and we just feel like the most blessed people ever. I'm going to tell you more about them in a second. Uh, before I do that, let's look at Genesis chapter 48, verse 10. Uh, this past summer, or I should say this summer, uh, the Lord has really been directing me to some Old Testament passages. And I've just been taking some time with our church, teaching some of these old stories in the Bible, but also taking some time to help our church realize, and hopefully today help you realize, that all of these stories are telling one big story. That whenever you read the Old Testament, you're not just looking for a principle. Friends, you're looking for the person of Jesus. The whole Bible, all 66 books are are telling the story of the gospel. And we'll see it today, even here in Genesis chapter 48, verse 10. Let's pick up. It says this, it says, now Israel's eyes, this is also, Israel's another name for this guy named Jacob, which we'll talk about. Now Jacob's eyes were failing because of old age and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him and his father kissed them and embraced them. Israel, also known as Jacob, said to Joseph, I never, watch this, I never expected to see your face again. I just want you to get that. Like if you've got, you got a pen or if you've got a highlighter, that's a, that's a good spot right there in your Bible. Underline that. I never expected to see your face again. And now God has allowed me to see your children too. Then Joseph removed them from Israel's knees and bowed down with his face to the ground. And Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right hand toward Israel's left hand and Manasseh on his left towards Israel's right hand and brought them close to him. But Israel, everyone say, but Israel. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger, crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. 
I want to take this, this, this story in the Bible, and I want to preach for the next few moments today to every campus, to every person online, to right here um, from the broadcast location. I want to preach from the subject, it's gonna be all right. Can you just look at your neighbor and just say, neighbor, it's gonna be all right. Come and look at your other neighbor, the one you don't like so much. Come on, somebody. Say, neighbor, it's gonna be all right. Now, you just need to know about me. I I come from four generations, Pentecostal preacher. Um, This is the Sunday that you got to verbally engage a little bit. You can say amen. You can say I like that. You can say preach it, white boy. I don't really care. But on the count of three, can we just try one of those? Here we go. Ready? One, two, three. (laughs) I like this church, man. Uh, It's going to be all right. Uh, This has been a a pretty amazing summer already uh, because my wife just about three weeks ago gave birth to our third child, not a son, not a boy, not a male, but our our very first daughter. Can we just thank God that he just was so, so grateful. It's important that you know that because some of you, you know our story, but maybe many of you don't. My wife and I, we've been married for 14 years, but we went on an eight-year journey of infertility. Eight years of believing and praying and hoping that we could have children. And uh, we talked to so many different doctors and it was just challenging. But after eight years of trying, in 2018, uh, my wife gave birth to our firstborn son. His name is Wyatt Wesley Wilkerson. And then about a year and a half later, can you believe it? Don't you love our God? He always gives us double for our trouble. Um, He gave us our second born son. Here's where we got crazy. We named him Wild Wesley Wilkerson. I know, this is just silly names. Uh, But then our God, how many know, you know, like two, maybe a coincidence, three, there's no coincidence here. This is the wonder working power of Jesus. And so just three weeks ago, my wife gave birth to our third child. We have three kids under three. Can we close in prayer and can you pray for us? (laughs) We are, we are, we are learning as we go, but, uh, we have, we feel like the most blessed people ever because we waited for a very long time for what we believed was a promise from God. How many know that, that waiting seasons with God never have to be wasted seasons? that God is developing and God is training and God is doing something in us even when we're waiting on the promise. But all that waiting, if I can be honest with you, it has produced a pretty deep sense of gratitude. Like I know it's not a competition, but if we are competing, I think I am the most happy dad in the entire world. Like I love being a dad. I have a lot of titles. I think dad is my favorite title. It's just... It's dad life, bro. I'm just like hashtag dad life. Wherever I go, like I'm in blazers and penny loafers because I'm a dad, you know? I'm a dad in West Palm. That's what we do, bro, okay? And being a dad, it's got all these different components, like raising kids. I mean, there's different facets to it. I mean, I've learned on one hand, like I have to be a celebrator. Like that's part of being a good dad. That's part of being a good spiritual father. That's part of being a good pastor. That's what I love about Todd and Julie. How many know these are some good celebrators right here? Yo, you can't come to Christ Fellowship and not get encouraged. Uh, I'm a celebrator. My son, Wild, he's a year and a half. He's in swim lessons right now. I show up. The swim teacher thinks I'm crazy because I cheer for my son. You would think he's Michael Phelps in the Olympics. Let's go, Wild! The kid, you know, like, like, I'm cheering for him. I'm a celebrator because that's part of being a dad. 
But I've also learned being a dad is that you have to be someone who actually corrects. This is, this is not a fun part of the job. It's just part of the job. Like you have to correct your children. And, and recently I discovered that my kids are not saved. Um, <laughs> no, I'm serious. They, they don't know Jesus. And you can start praying for them today. Dads celebrate. Dads correct. But I don't want to talk about the celebration of the father. I don't want to talk about the correction of a father. I want to talk for a moment about the comfort of a father. A few nights ago, I, I was woken up from the baby monitor to about three in the morning, and I can hear my oldest son, Wyatt, screaming, ah, dad, dad, where are you? And I don't know if you've ever like been deep in sleep and then you wake up and like, I'm having a panic attack and it's like, I haven't even been awake for a minute. And I'm like, I jump out of the bed, I'm running through the house. I can hear this kid screaming and crying. I'm tripping over the furniture. I run into the room. When I run into the room, my oldest son, Wyatt, is spinning around going, dad, dad, where are you? To which his little brother, who is a year and a half, who deals with demonic possession, as I already told you, is standing at the crib going, ah! And I walk into this full on chaotic scene and all I know to do is grab one boy in one arm and grab the other boy in the other arm and all I can say over and over again is dad is here, it's gonna be all right. Gonna be, it's gonna be all right. It's called the comfort of a father. Today, I don't know if you've noticed it, but it kind of seems like there's a whole lot of people in the world today that are going through some dark seasons. That the lights have gone out in their situation and they're sort of spinning around going, Dad, Dad, where are you? God, where are you? You ever notice that sometimes our trauma can trigger trauma in other people? <laughs> and we've got people all over the body of Christ that as they hear one church crying, as they hear one person crying, now they're crying. And before you know it, it's just one big chaotic scene. But I have come to Christ Fellowship on this Sunday morning to encourage some people that there is a good father who is on the way, who rushes to you. And he says, comfort I have. And he picks us up and he declares, it's gonna be all right. It's going to be all right. That is the word of the Lord for you today. It's going to be all right. And the good news today is that it's not a cliche. It is truly concrete, the word of God. It's going to be all right. Our text today that we're reading from comes from the book of Genesis. And it is the story of a guy by the name of, of Joseph. Everyone say Joseph out there. Now, I know many of you, maybe you've grown up in church, but others of you, I know how this church rolls, that we are actually building a church here, not for the frozen chosen, but we're actually building a church for those that feel like they're far from God. That we want to build a church that says you can belong here before you believe. You can belong here before you behave. If you're wondering about Christ fellowship, that is the heart and the spirit. This is a Jesus church that says all are welcome. Anybody thankful for a church like that? All are welcome. And so I don't expect everybody to know who this guy Joseph is. 
In Genesis 48, the story of Joseph, it's kind of towards the, the latter part of his life, but, but Joseph is a key figure in the Bible, and I gotta follow the clock, so I gotta bring you up to speed really quickly on who Joseph is. Joseph is one of the 12 sons of a guy by the name of Jacob. Jacob also has another name, his name is Israel. He is the son of a guy by the name of Isaac. Isaac is the son of a guy by the name of Abraham. Important that you know, because Abraham is what we call the father of the faith. Some of y'all grew up in church, and you know about the old hymn songs. You know about the real church songs. Father Abraham had many sons, had many sons, had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm. That's, what, that's some real music right there. Put a trap beat to that, yo. Abraham is the father of the faith. Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. Jacob, his name is turned to Israel. Israel has 12 sons. Those are known as the 12 tribes of Israel. Joseph is one of those 12 sons. But Joseph actually happens to be Jacob's favorite son. Why is he his favorite son? That's a whole other story because Jacob has two wives. I know crazy, I can only handle one, but back then they had two. His first wife is a girl named by the name of Leah. Leah, the Bible says, is the weak-eyed one. I won't even explain to you what that means in the Bible, but his second wife, the wife that he really likes, her name is Rachel. Rachel couldn't have kids. It took her a long time to have them. Leah was just having kids. She had 10 kids, actually. But then Rachel has two. He has a son named Joseph and a son named Benjamin. Joseph is the first son of Rachel, which makes him Jacob's favorite son. Now, we know it's his favorite son because as you study the scripture, what you discover is that Joseph gets this coat. It's this coat of many colors. He likes wearing this coat. He walks all around like, yo, look at me. I got a coat of many colors. And everybody walks around, everybody's jealous. You know who's jealous? His brothers are jealous. But Joseph is still immature. He's still kind of silly. He has these dreams from God. He has this one dream where he sees all of these like things bowing down to him. He wakes up, he's like, hey guys, I had a dream last night. You guys were all bowing down to me. It was epic. They're like, it's not epic. We hate you. We hate your coat. We hate your dreams. They go, we ought to kill Joseph. Yeah, that's what we'll do. But then Reuben, the oldest, is like, no, no, no. We can't kill him. That'd be too messed up. Let's lie. Let's take his coat of many colors. Let's dip in blood. Let's tell dad that he's dead. Let's throw him in a pit and then let's throw him into slavery. So they throw him in a pit. They throw him into slavery. He ends up all the way in Egypt. His dad, Jacob, is back home like crying like, oh my goodness, where's Joseph? He's dead. I miss him. He's my favorite boy. And the brother's like, I know it's crazy that he's dead, but he's not dead. We're lying to you. He's actually shows up in Egypt. He shows up to this guy named Potiphar. Potiphar's like this big ruler. He has a whole lot of power. He's like, oh, I kind of like you. And before you know it, Joseph, he shows up to Potiphar's house. He becomes number two in command, but he's a slave which I wish I had time because I could preach to some people, especially some young people at Christ Fellowship. They're like, I need a new title. I need a bigger position. I need a new promotion. No, baby, if you would understand that you have a purpose from God, it doesn't matter what your title is. It doesn't matter what your position is. Everywhere you go, the Lord goes with you. And so Joseph is up in Potiphar's house and it's like, yo, he's ruling and stuff. And Mr. Potiphar likes Joseph, but it turns out not only does Mr. Potiphar like Joseph, so does Mrs. Potiphar. <laughs> Mrs. Potiphar's like, hey, Joe. <laughs> Joey, 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 Joey. And she tries to come on to him, but he actually like somehow knows the New Testament scriptures. We don't even have the Mosaic law yet, but somehow the law is written on his heart. He actually obeys Paul before Paul even shows up on the scene. He actually one day runs, he flee, he flees. <laughs> Youthful temptation. She grabs his coat as
as he's running away and she comes back to her husband and goes, oh, Mr. Potiphar, Joseph tried to come on to me. He tried to rape me. To which then Mr. Potiphar says, you're going to prison because you tried to rape my wife, even though he didn't do it. He ends up in the wrong place for doing the right thing. He's in prison. You would think his story's all over, but it's not over. Guys start having dreams. There's a cupbearer, there's a baker. They're like, we got these crazy dreams. These dreams keep coming to us. It's crazy. He starts interpreting the dreams. He goes, Mr. Baker, you're going to die. Mr. Cupbearer, you're going to be promoted back. When you get promoted back to Pharaoh, make sure you don't forget about him. He's like, I'll never forget about you. Of course he forgets about him. He ends up one day in Pharaoh's army and he's in Pharaoh's court and Pharaoh starts having these crazy dreams. He can't interpret them. He doesn't know what it is. And the cupbearer goes, oh my goodness, I know this guy named Joseph. I bet he could interpret it. He goes, well, go get him. Where is he? He's in the prison cell. So they go and they get Joseph. He comes in. You can't recognize Joseph. He looks like Tom Hanks from Castaway. He's got a big beard. He's skinny. He walks in, you know, coming in and he says, what's your dream? And Pharaoh's like, yo, I saw these seven fat calves come out of the Nile. Then I saw seven scrawny calves that came and ate the seven fat calves. This dream is killing me. Just like, oh, I know what that dream means. That dream means there's going to be seven years of harvest. Then there's going to be seven years of famine. You want to save all your money, steward all your money. Then you'll be an economic world power. It's going to be awesome. And Pharaoh's like, yo, you're a really good guy. I'm going to make you number two of all of Egypt. He's like, this is awesome. Now Joseph has gone from the pit to the prison, now to the palace. He's number two in command. He's large and in charge. He's walking around seven years of harvest. Then seven years of famine hit. The seven years of famine, they don't just hit Egypt. They hit every nation around, drawing his own brothers back to the place where he is. They come, they bow down. They don't recognize Joseph because he looks like an Egyptian with mascara and it's really weird and he doesn't know who it is. And they're bowing down and they're like, yo, we need help. And Joseph, he starts playing tricks on them. It's a whole crazy story. But finally he takes his mascara off. He takes his mask off. He's like, hey guys, it's actually me. I don't want to punish you. I want to bless you. I want to show you what Jesus looks like. I could curse you, but instead I'm going to restore you. And... And, and, and that's where our text picks up, okay? And so, <laughs> so just know that a whole lot's happened in Joseph's life. And um, Joseph is now number two in, in Egypt, and he's gone through so much. And now he's, he's second in command. And if you can believe it, after being gone for, for decades... Now his brothers and his father are living near him. And in Genesis 48, verse 10, what we discover is, is that Jacob, Joseph's father, is getting ready to die. In fact, the text says that his eyes are failing. It's an indication that he's grown old. And so the custom of that day was is that you would bring the sons to the father for a blessing. And so Joseph has been living in Egypt it's powerful because Jacob lived 147 years on earth and he had Joseph for Joseph's first 17 years, but then the last 17 years of Jacob's life, he gets to spend them again with Joseph. And I love what we discover here because what you hear from Jacob is that he says to his son, this is so important that we catch this. He says, I never expected to see you again. And I just wanna to speak to some people today that are going through a devastating time. I wanna to speak to some people that are distraught. I wanna to speak to some people who thought the dream had died, that the purpose was gone, that the marriage was over. Jacob thought that Joseph had been dead all these years, but as it turns out, not only is he alive, but he also has kids. What is it telling us? It's telling us that we serve a God who doesn't meet our expectations. Come on, somebody. We serve the God who exceeds our expectations. I never expected to see you again. 
I never thought I'd ever see you again. I don't know who came today who's in a place that you think that thing is dead. I want to remind you that you serve a God who will bless you and comfort you in ways that you never, ever even expected it. The scripture says that, 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 that Jacob is getting ready to bless Joseph's sons. Joseph has two boys, Manasseh, the oldest, and Ephraim, the youngest. Now, right away, even as we start to study that, it's very peculiar. It's peculiar, number one, because um, what we learn is, is that these boys, well, they're not fully Hebrew. They're a mixed race. Joseph has married an Egyptian woman, and that means that the children are Israeli and Egyptian. They're a mixed race. Therefore, they should not be able to receive this blessing. They shouldn't be able to receive the blessing of Abraham. But it's not just that. It's that Jacob is choosing, we see in verse 5, we don't have time to read it, that he's adopting Manasseh and Ephraim. This is very, very fascinating. Because if they ever were going to get a blessing, the blessing should have come from Joseph because that's their natural father. But Jacob is breaking tradition. Jacob is breaking policies. Jacob is breaking the protocol. And he's saying, you should have to wait 40 years for this blessing. And you should have to be my actual biological son. But I am choosing right here and right now that I'm going to adopt you as my own. And that which was supposed to take 40 years, I'm choosing right here and right now to accelerate the blessing. Come on, I feel a word of the Lord in my spirit today that those of us that are in Christ Jesus, we have been adopted into the family of God and things that should have taken decades. He says, I'm about to accelerate in your life. This is who your God is. Your God is the God who doesn't give you what you deserve, but he gives you what Jesus deserves. You do know that we have been adopted. That's what the gospel is. Ephesians chapter one, verse three, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, what he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. For all, Romans verse 8, verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Newsflash today, God doesn't have any grandkids. He only has sons and daughters. Today, he chooses you. Today, he picks you. Today, he adopts you and says that you can actually receive my blessing. Jacob's eyes are growing weak, but now he's going to give Manasseh and Ephraim, his grandsons, who are a mixed race, he's going to give them the spiritual blessing. It's tough for us to fully comprehend because we're not living thousands of years ago in Middle Eastern culture, but the blessing of the Father was everything. The blessing of the Father represented so many different things. It represented things physically, but it certainly represented things spiritually. And traditionally speaking, the blessing of the father would go upon the firstborn son. It's because in that culture, the firstborn was really how the entire family saw victory or or loss. It was not an individualistic community, but rather you were known by your tribe, you were known by your community. And so the majority of the wealth, the majority of the property would always go to the firstborn son. 
And so Joseph, he does something that's quite natural. He, he takes his oldest boy, Manasseh, and he brings him over to Jacob's right hand, and he brings Ephraim, and he puts him over near Jacob's left hand. The reason for this is because when the father would bless the firstborn son, he would always do so with his right hand. Everyone say right hand. The right hand represents many different things. In fact, as you study the scriptures, you'll see the right hand of God shows up something like 166 times. I could take you through different areas of the Bible of what the right hand of God represents. It certainly represents his power. It certainly represents his protection. It represents his provision and his prosperity. There's different parables that we study about the right hand of God. Things like uh, the sheep and the goats that on the day of judgment, we'll stand before God and he'll say, yo, uh, when I was naked, you never clothed me. When I was hungry, you never fed me. And those that are righteous will say, well, we didn't even, unrighteous, they will say, we didn't even know that. When did we ever not do that? We don't even know about that. And then he'll say to those that are righteous, he'll say, when I was naked, you did clothe me. When I was hungry, you did feed me. And they'll go, we didn't, when did we ever do that? And Jesus says something powerful. He says, when you did it for the least of these, you did it unto me. Meaning that as the church, we're not just supposed to come and gather, we're called to scatter, to serve, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And one day we'll stand before a righteous God and he will separate those on his left and those on his right. And those on his right will be called sheep because we were actually doing the work of the Lord. Jesus today is seated at the right hand of the Father. Right hand represents blessing, therefore right hand falls upon the firstborn. What takes place here as you read the text is something odd, something strange happens in that moment as Joseph brings Manasseh and Ephraim to Jacob. Right as Jacob gets ready to bless his grandsons, aka his sons, instead of placing his right hand upon Manasseh, at the last second he crosses his arms. And the right hand falls upon Ephraim, the secondborn, and the left hand falls upon Manasseh, the firstborn. In fact, when, when Joseph sees it, it makes him upset. He tries to grab his dad's hands and uncross them and say, no, dad, you can't do that. You're blessing the wrong one. And I love Jacob's response. Jacob says, actually, he says, no, what I'm doing is the right thing. He says, Ephraim, um, Manasseh will be great, but Ephraim will be even greater. He says, what I'm doing is on purpose. Now, this story is not in the Bible for us to actually just break down the fact that one family member got more than another family member. The story is in the Bible because it's trying to show you the character and the nature of your heavenly father. That you serve a God who specializes in blessing people that others would overlook, that others would say are insignificant, we serve a God who specializes in taking people from the back and bringing them to the front. We serve the God who crosses his arms and he doesn't give us what we deserve, but rather in our brokenness, in our depravity, in our fragility, he gives us his blessing. Come on, somebody, give God some praise. And all throughout the Bible, it's story after story of a God who crosses his arms. It's what he does. You might be here today thinking to yourself, ah, oh, this is as far as I'm gonna go. I can never be more, I can never make it. And that might be true in your own strength. 
But you are forgetting one thing, friend. You are forgetting about the God that at any moment, he just might cross his arms. He's a God who blesses in an unusual way. He's a God who shows up right in the nick of time and he does what we didn't expect him to do. He doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call. He's a good father. And you're sitting there today and you're talking about all the things that you're not. Can I remind you, everything that you're not is everything who he is. Where you're weak, he's strong. Where you're afraid, he's courageous. Where you're insecure, he's secure. This is our story. I don't know, I can just go through my life and like, how did I get up here? How am I here today at Christ Fellowship? It's one big story of God crossing his arms. And if you're in Christ Jesus, it's all of our stories. Like I can just go through the story of our church. How on earth did our church that started in an apartment now all of a sudden show up and we're running five services in Miami? I'll tell you, God crossed his arms. You, You tell me, how in a pandemic did we buy not just one building, but we bought two buildings? I'll tell you how. It's because we serve the God who shows up in the nick of time and he crosses his arms. How on earth did my wife go for eight years not being able to have a child? But now today I can boldly stand up here and testify. We don't just have one child. We don't just have two children. Oh friends, we have a God who exceeds our expectations. We have three children. How did it happen? I'll tell you how it happened. God crossed his arms. You tell me how a how a little church began 37 years ago, 1984, called Christ Fellowship. How do we find ourselves here today in these rooms? How do we hear the stories and the testimonies and the miracles of a God showing up in the dark hours, late in the midnight hour, scooping his kids up saying, it's gonna be all right, it's gonna be all right. How 37 years later are we still seeing him pour out his spirit? Is it because of our strategies? Is it because of our leadership? Is it because of our gifts, our talents? Oh friends, those things are nice, but they pale in comparison to the grace of God who shows up and crosses his arms. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right because God is going to cross his arms. I just even sense right now there's people that are watching today. God's getting ready to cross his arms in your situation. Some of you walked in here with doubt. Some of you walked in here with fear. Depression cannot withstand when God crosses his arms. We got people in this room that have got suicidal thoughts. No, no, God's going to cross his arms. I know it, it seems impossible. It seems unlikely. I know. I never thought I would see you again, Joseph. Now I'm looking at at your children too. He's gonna cross his arms. You say, Rich, you're getting getting pretty pumped up and I'm not sure if you're really treating that text properly. It kind of seems like you're taking your liberty with it. Well, not really. This story in Genesis 48 is not just a story about Manasseh and Ephraim and Joseph and Jacob. This is the story of God. This, friends, is the gospel. Just want to remind everybody, you got two of the finest Bible teachers and preachers of the gospel in the world today. And if you're not careful, you can just kind of turn them into orators or speech givers or talk givers. I like all those words. I do all those things. But what they actually are, they are storytellers of God's word. 
they are preachers of the gospel, that we are proclaiming a truth that has been going on for thousands of years and it was even showing up in Genesis 48. Because ultimately, Ephraim was born second. And I know this is not popular in 2021 and so here we go, but ultimately Ephraim was just simply born wrong. And at some point on your faith journey, you have to come to terms with the fact that you were born wrong. That's what it means to be born into sin. I'm not a sinner because I sinned. No, I'm a sinner, therefore I sin. I, I, I got three little kids at home and truly they are, they are a gift to our home. But you can see it, it's me, 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 me. And I was born with a sin nature. I was born thinking about me. I was born in need of help. I was born broken. That's why Jesus says you have to be born again. That's why he looks at Nicodemus, this guy who's got all these really great works under his belt, this really big title. He's a Pharisee. He practices the law better than anybody ever did at Christ's fellowship. But what does Jesus say to him? Jesus says, yo, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You must be born again if you want to enter into my kingdom of God. Because what Jesus is trying to say is saying, until you know me and confess me and believe in me, you are born wrong. You're born second. You're not even in a position to ever receive the blessing. We're born wrong. I, I, was, I was born wrong. This is why Jesus came to this earth. He came in the form of a man born 2,000 years ago, and he lived a spotless and sinless life, but he knew temptation. He knew about the fragility of life, but he went to a cross. Why did he go to a cross? Because the scripture says, for the wages of sin is death. That my sin, the way that I was born, guess what? It has a wage, it has a payment. The payment is death. Jesus came and said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take your death. I'm gonna make that payment. I lived a spotless life, therefore I become a sacrifice that can actually atone for your sin. And he went to a cruel cross 2,000 years ago. And from that cross, he was hung high and stretched wide, nails in his hands and nails in his feet. And something happened that day. Nobody could see it in the physical, but something was taking place in the spiritual. For when Jesus looked to heaven and said, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? What looked to be a cruel moment of the Father was actually just one of the most, one of the most beautiful facets of the Father, that he was correcting one son, Jesus, for my mistake and your mistake. But on the very other hand, he was comforting the secondborn. And from heaven, God the Father, like Jacob, reached down, and as he got ready to bless humanity, he crossed his arms. And the right hand, which should have fallen upon Jesus, it fell upon you and me. And the left hand fell upon Jesus, for at the cross, God crossed his arms once and for all, that today I can find comfort in him. This is what 2 Corinthians says, I want you to see it. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, watch this, so that in him we might become, someone say become, that we might become the righteousness of God, that we might be made right that we might be right. God 
crossed his arms in order for me to be all right. That if I'm in Jesus, there is no left hand. If I'm in Jesus, there is no curse. It doesn't mean I won't face suffering. It doesn't mean I won't face pain. It doesn't mean I won't face trial. It just means that every time I face a trial and every time I face a storm, I can rest assured that there is a good father in heaven whose right hand is upon me. He will protect me. He will provide me. I'm not living for a happily ever after. I got something deeper. I'm living for heaven ever after. In the end, it's going to be all right. It's all made right in Jesus. And that's what we're preaching today. And that's how I'm able to look at people in our church who just lost loved ones in the Surfside Towers. And I can look at them and say, if you're in Christ Jesus, it's, it's gonna be all right. It's how I can look at a mother who just buried their child and say, if you're in Christ Jesus, it's gonna be all right because it's not cliche, it's, it's concrete. That I'm not living for the here and now, I'm living for the heaven ever after. And it's what we build our life on. It's how in the midst of the trauma, when everyone's crying and everyone's screaming and everyone's afraid that you and I can come into Christ's fellowship and we can gather together and we can look at each other and say, it's gonna be all right. We're, we're gonna get through this. In the end, it's gonna be all right. But Rich, it's not all right. Well, that's just because it's not the end. So if it's not all right, it just means it's not the end. God is not done working on you. God is not done working through you today. There is a good father who comes and comforts you and picks you up in his arms and says, it's gonna be all right. Can I pray for you today with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? God crossed his arms at the cross. And his firstborn, Jesus, Manasseh, well, he got the left hand. But you and I, we are, we are the Ephraims, we're the secondborn. We were born wrong. But he says, I love you so much that I'm gonna bless you and I'm gonna adopt you. This is the nature of who our God is. You might be delayed today, but you're, you're not denied. God's still working. He's the God who exceeds expectations. Don't give up. You come, you've come too far to give up. He can redeem the time. God, I thank you for my friends that are, that are watching. I thank you for my friends that are here. I just sense your presence, even just right now, in this room, just here, ministering to us. Lord, we open ourselves up. We, we, we recognize, Lord, that without you, we're nothing. We could gain the whole world, but we could forfeit our soul. Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for your affirmation. God, thank you for celebrating us. Thank you for correcting us. But God, thank you for comforting us. Thank you that even right now, Lord, we just sense your arms holding us in your arms, just saying, it's gonna be all right. It's gonna be all right. Lord, let that be the anthem in someone's heart this week. Let that minister to someone's soul this week, Lord, as they, as they go back to their job tomorrow, as they go back into the marriage, as they go back into the home. Every teenager that's watching, that's, it's living in a broken home. Lord, just let them hear the whisper of faith. It's gonna be all right. Do that today, Jesus. And if you're, if you're in one of our campuses or if you're watching online today and you don't know Jesus, I wanna let you know that he loves you and that he's for you, that he laid down his life so that you could receive the reward of heaven. And today, this passage is for you, that you can become right 
that you can become the righteous of God. How? Not through your works, not through your title, but through the shed blood of Jesus. I just wanna give you an opportunity on the count of three. If you're in one of our campuses, or if you're watching online right now on the count of three, would you just be bold? And when I get to three, if that's you saying, I wanna choose Jesus today. I wanna confess, boldly confess that I want to repent. I want to receive the forgiveness of heaven. I wanna claim Jesus, not just as my savior, but as my Lord. If that's you today on the count of three, would you just be bold, lift your hand up high enough and long enough just so I can see it. I wanna include you in this prayer of salvation. Here we go, ready? One, Bible says today is the day of salvation. Two, don't look at your neighbor, forget about your neighbor. It's between you and Jesus. Ready, one, one, two, three. If that's you, just lift it up, that's me. That's me, Rich, that's me, that's me. I trust that that's happening at every campus and every location. It's happening in people's homes, people's cars right now. Can you just write there at your chair, church? Can we just all pray this prayer together? Say, dear Jesus, today, Lord, I surrender. God, today, forgive me. I believe you are who you said that you are. Take my past, take my present. I even place my future in your hands. I'm yours, Jesus. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for making all things right. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Come on, can we just celebrate every person who just prayed that prayer? Thank you again for spending time with us today. If you're looking to take a step in discovering the more that God has in store for you, just text the word podcast to the number 441-441 and select the option that applies to you. And if you enjoyed this message, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. A special thanks to those of you who generously give to all that God is calling us to do together. It's because of you that everything that we do is possible. We'll see you right back here for next week's message.